This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everybody, Elon here. What you're about to listen to is a special bonus episode of Keeping Carlson. Brian and I set up a Google Hangout and got some of the patrons together to discuss a bunch of the trades that happened leading up to the NHL deadline. We thought it was important to get an emergency podcast out. I think you'll enjoy it, though I do have a couple of disclaimers I want to mention before I cut to the start of the show. First of all, like I mentioned, we did this over Google Hangout, so the quality may not be up to the level that you've come to expect for regular episodes of Keeping Carlson. Also, I didn't give this the full edit that I generally do, so it might be a bit more choppy than you've come to expect. But hopefully you'll forgive us in exchange for this extra episode. So enjoy. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Midweek, yes! Welcome everybody to a surprise bonus episode, an emergency episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. We need to discuss the trade deadline. We can't wait till Saturday because by then all the players will have been taken or all of the moves will have already been made by other people in your league. So here we are. For this emergency episode, we're live on Google Hangouts for any patrons who decided to join. So we've got a chat room going. Brian's here. Say hello, Brian. Hey. Hi, Elon. Hey, uh, hey to the patrons who are joining us live. Thank you very much for making it on, like, really, really short notice, too. It was almost too short notice for me also. I think, Elon, we made the call, like, over Gtalk at, like, 10.15, and here we are 10 hours later. Yeah, well, it had to be done. So let's get down to business. We should. I made a list of the trades in the order that I think is the order of importance. So maybe that could be like a side meta thing of deciding if my order is appropriate or not. And of course, we'll only talk about the trades that we didn't already discuss on Sunday's episode. Though, of course, the patrons are free to ask about anything they want, and we'll try our best. But let's start with Keith Yandel getting traded to the New York Rangers. That was in my opinion, the biggest move, because Keith Yandel is like one of the top elite fantasy defensemen. Uh, the trade was actually so Yandel, Summers, and a fourth-round pick, and then the Coyotes got Anthony Duclair, who was relevant for like a week. I remember there was like a short stretch where he scored a couple of goals, and John Moore, and then a couple of picks. Obviously, it's mainly Yandel for picks, and I guess a prospect. So I guess there's a lot of players affected by this, because I feel like there's players on New York, like other defensemen now, who get bumped because Yandel comes. There's also players on Phoenix who maybe get an improved situation now, because that's one player off the top power play. But let's start with the, you know, the obvious thing, the lead here, Keith Yandel, Brian. If someone has Yandel, is this good for them, do you think, or bad for them? Um, so the thing with Yandel is that when he was playing in Phoenix, if you look at his deployment... 
he saw like really soft minutes. It was Oliver Ekman Larson and Zvinek Mihalik taking the majority of the tough minutes. So um, now that Yandel is in New York, I don't know if they're going to shelter him exactly the same way. And I, I'm pulling this up right now. This is live, right? So uh, not a ton of time to prepare for all this. But if you take a look at New York's deployment, um, you know, the guy who strikes me most is like hopefully Yandel can hope to just like step into that guy's minutes and deployment is Dan Boyle who's also seen fairly easy deployment which um, by the way means more starts in the offensive zone relative to the rest of his teammates and also sees competition from the other team and actually that's easier which is measured um, the way I'm looking right now at War on Ice they measure that by the amount of average time on ice um, or it's actually time on ice per 60 minutes. So of a 60-minute game, how many of those minutes does a player play? The more they play, the better they're assumed to be. So we're trusting coaches to make decisions. Anyway, sorry, roundabout way of saying um, Yandel saw very, very easy minutes and has for like more than the last year, and he's been very productive as a defenseman, one of the top um, offensive defensemen for the last three years, but... We'll see how he's deployed in New York. I feel, I feel like they invested so much in him that they're not about to throw him to the wolves. I don't think things are going to get difficult. And what New York has going for them already is they still have Dan Girardi, Ryan McDonough, and Mark Stahl. Yandel to New York, great as long as they keep sheltering him. He's also going to help their power play. Hopefully, like, we've seen McDonough's production, like, has come in, like, little spurts here and there, and we expect a little more from him, but we don't expect more from Girardi or Mark Stahl, and Dan Boyle, uh, I don't think has delivered that the, the offense that the Rangers were hoping for from him so far this season with their free agent signing of him in the offseason, so maybe they rest their hopes on Keith Yandel, and that's a good guy, that's a good guy to rest your hopes on, he's proven, especially on the power play. Um, I think I read somewhere, it's probably Scott Cullen at tsn.ca. I think he was ranks seventh in points per 60 with the man advantage so far this year. Yeah, well, just going by the first game that Yandel's played for the Rangers, he played two minutes on the power play. I guess they only had one power play, and he played the whole time. Other players went on and off. Dan Boyle only played for half of it, but Keith Yandel just stayed on the ice. So forever that's worth, it's only they one score? game. They did Sorry not. to cut you off, but did they <laughs> score? They did not score, but they did oh, win the no. game. And But also another thing I'll point out, again, it's only one game, you know, but that's all we have to go on. Yandel's averaging almost 24 minutes a game this season with the Coyotes, and he only played 19 minutes and 41 seconds, so a drop-off. But then again, one game, and it does seem like you said the Rangers gave up so much for him. I think he's going to be a big part of the offense. I'm worried. I actually have Dan Boyle in one of my pools, and I've been waiting for him. You know, he's been a disappointment and he's like, I guess I'd say my bottom defenseman, like probably the bottom player on my team, but I was thinking he'll be useful in the playoffs. At least he's on the top power play. He's getting decent minutes somewhat. He hasn't been over 20 minutes. But now I'm very worried because if he's not even on the top power play, according to Daily Faceoff, he still is. But if that doesn't last, then obviously that's reason to concern. Patty writes in the chat room that she was sad that the Bruins didn't go for him, but also that the Rangers did give up a lot. That's true. A first-round pick and a second. Pick. The Bruins were looking for a defenseman. Um, they could have used one, but I don't think you're sad that they threw 
or that they didn't throw what the Rangers threw to get Yandel. And it's not to say, like, Yandel has been, has gotten 40 points or more in the last five or six, five seasons. I think he's been on pace to do it in the last six, which is pretty much every full season in his career. The last three, including this one, he's a 50-point guy, at least so far. He's on pace for 50 points. He just needs nine more in his last 19 games to get there. Um, or, sorry, 18 games. Odds are still pretty good that he manages half point per game over that pace, especially what you said with that power play opportunity. Elon, one curiosity, since we're talking about Arizona, I feel like we should mention what this might mean for Oliver ekman Larson. Um, he's a fine player, and, and he and Zbigniew McCulloch have been fantastic at driving possession on a terrible, like on a very bad Coyotes team against other t- against the best players on the opposition. Um, but like I think Mihalik was like known to be sort of the heavyweight in terms of what he was able to do defensively and what he was capable of. So I'm just trying to Elon. Do you happen to have the 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 depth chart for Arizona's defense handy? Well. Yeah, I have a daily face-off up, and okay. now that Yandel's gone, I was actually going to mention, so you're talking about McCulloch, who was also traded. I feel like the player on Arizona that might be worth looking at, especially in a league that counts blocks, is someone we mentioned earlier in the year, Michael Stone, because if you look just at Ar- Arizona's last game, which was against, let's see here, it was against Boston, they lost for whatever it's worth, but Yandel played 21 minutes, Ekman Larson played 20 minutes, and then Michael Stone played 25 minutes. He actually led the team in ice time. He didn't get a lot of power play time, but I'm very curious to see if maybe he'll get an increased amount of power play time, taking over either a spot from Yandel on the top power play, or if not, maybe someone goes from the second power play to the first one, and then Michael Stone takes his spot on the second power play. So if Michael Stone is someone who could have already been valuable because he's capable of getting blocks for you, maybe now if you're in a deep league, he could be a good depth defense add with an increased role in Arizona. Of course, on the flip side, Arizona's are they going to score that many goals now that they've traded away Vermette and Yandel and all these people? Yeah, that's a good point. And and uh, and Stone has been one of the, you, you said this, shot-blocking defenseman who also takes shots. I think his shot-blocking slowed down, but his shot-taking has kept up reasonably well. Um, but I am, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ekman Larson owner, and I'm concerned... Um, but not as concerned as I would be if plus-minus was a category in my league, which it's not, um, because it's just, like, nobody on the team comes even close to seeing the difficulty uh, in opposition that Ekman Larson and Mihalik were, and now Ekman Larson is, is on his own with a very poor team in front of him. So, Elon, it's a good point. Like, right now, Arizona D-men are as valuable as Buffalo D-men in terms of shot blocking. It's just going to be an endless barrage towards the Arizona net for the rest of the season. So do any of the patrons have any comments about the Yandel to the Rangers trade, or should we move on? I will say, Brian, I wouldn't be too worried about having Ekman Larson if you're in a league that doesn't count plus-minus, just because his role just becomes so much more important. Like, he's going to be on the ice a lot, and I think he's going to be you know, relied on to provide offense. Like, he's pretty much now the top offensive contributor on the team. Like, Bodker's injured, Hansel's injured, Vermette's gone. Like, who is even on this team? Shane Doan, I guess. Maybe also, if you're if you're of the mind that ice time and power play time are worthwhile, then, I don't know, Shane Doan also might be someone. Well, okay, Anthony I can, I can. Oh, oh. sorry. I was going to fill you in on, on who's on this team, and I can tell you three members 
or maybe I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't have enough of the background to get here, but at least two members of their top nine were not on the team a month ago and both came to the team through waivers. So it's not like they made great deals to swing these fantastic acquisitions. Mark Arcobello is their second line center. Kyle Chipchura is the first line center and Craig Cunningham and Joe Vital Vitali, whatever. He's uh he's down on the fourth line right now, according to Daily Faceoff. A rough looking lineup in the in the desert. All right, so quickly, Patty asked about Anthony Duclair. Brian's usually the one who knows about, like, what round they were drafted in and all of this. But he's, like, 19 years old is what I'm seeing. He had seven points in 18 games for the Rangers, 18 shots. So, Elon, I can jump in. He's a good one. Um, he started the season with the Rangers, and then they decided he'd be better off developing in... Yeah, he went back to junior. He's been playing with Quebec. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, it's easy to put up crazy numbers in in the QMJHL, um, and his numbers have been very good. He had a very good World Junior Championship tournament as well, um, and the Coyotes did really, really well in getting him because he's going to be, um, by all accounts, a top six NHLer, if not a top-line player um, within the next, you know, as, once he's given time to develop Elon. Like you said, he's still, uh, he's born in 1995, so he's going to turn 20 this August. Um, it's going to take a bit of time, but I'd look there and Max Domi and, you know, maybe McDavid. There, there could be the makings of a good team in like four or five years from now. So I guess let's move on to what I classified as the second biggest trade of the day. It happened right at the end. I was watching on Twitter and 3 o'clock pass. I'm like, oh, I guess that's it. But then, boom, James Wisniewski traded to Anaheim. The exact trade was Wisniewski in a third-round pick from the Blue Jackets. And Blue Jackets got in return Renee Bork, William Carlson, another Carlson, and a second-round pick. So I'm not sure if there's any fantasy relevance in Bork or Carlson, at least for this season. Maybe we could check those out at the end. But obviously the big move is Wisniewski. We should mention, first of all, he's injured, but it's looking like it'll only be for a week or two. So in standard leagues, he'll be back in time for the fantasy hockey playoffs. So, Brian, do you think now that he's to on a more offensive team on Anaheim, is he someone that people could target if maybe someone had dropped because of his I know, somewhat disappointing production over in Columbus? I'll get the actual numbers while you uh, start to pontificate. Like, you, you're asking if he's been dropped in someone's league, is he worth picking up? Well, he's only 64% owned in ESPN. He has 29 points in 56 games. So definitely in deep leagues he's owned. In shallow leagues he might be available. But how much of a bump does Wisniewski get, if anything? Like, is he going to be more productive in Anaheim than he was in Columbus? Not necessarily. I mean, with Vatten and out, um, I guess they're looking for a guy who can do the things that he's done in the past. But, like, how much of a bump do you need? Like, he's on, like, a 40-point pace. He's a defenseman. He's going to see power play time. Uh, he takes, like, almost three shots a game. Oh, sorry. That, that's a, uh, he takes over two shots a game. Um, and, I mean, my, my belief in Wisniewski has been well documented on this podcast. Um, and I, I don't think it goes down. I don't think his value goes down at all, although perhaps the Ducks' blue line is kind of deep right now. They've got Lindholm... Um, uh, who's the other guy I was going to... Fowler. Fowler, of course. They traded away Lovejoy, whatever. Um, there's still, like, there's this pretty solid top four, but Wisniewski 
is definitely in that top group, and I expect him to, to continue producing. Like, if you don't like what James Wisniewski's done so far this season, um, you're probably in a very shallow league where, you know, regardless of where he goes, he's probably not worth adding to your team. Yeah, so I'd say, well, don't forget also the Ducks acquired Simon Dupre, and I guess we'll get to that trade in a little bit from Pittsburgh. But yeah, I would say right away, the the things we said before, so when Vatnin got injured, we talked about how maybe that means a bump for Lindholm or Fowler, and we were discussing like which one of them is going to take the lead. Now it seems like everything we said is sort of irrelevant come your playoffs, because they've got Wisniewski now, and he's an already experienced like top power play, top D guy. So I guess now... In terms of who this hurts, this trade, I'd feel like it hurts these guys like Fowler and, and I guess, Boschman and, and Lindholm, these people who we thought would maybe get an increased role in Anaheim. And I would think it's good with, you know, you're right, Brian, he's done well, so at least at the very least you'd expect he should be able to keep up the same pace if he's going to be on the ice with Getzlaff and Perry. Not that being on the ice with um, Johansson is, is anything too bad, but I think Anaheim scores more goals, so... I'd say overall, good good for Wisniewski. Someone's phone is ringing. Is that Sorry, yours, Brian? That's mine. Hang, I'm not going to pick it up, but you don't... All right. Did you just mute yourself? Cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then as far as the players Columbus got back... Well, actually, okay. uh, Rene Bork... Oh, did you, were you going to say something, or should I just go on to talk about Columbus? I do um, think there is a player on Columbus who people should be looking at. Try to guess who it is in the chat room. And Brian, f- oh. finish your thought. Well, I'll guess who it is then, too, because I was going to say, like, none of who um, Columbus got back in the trade matters. Maybe William Carlson one day, but... Yeah, uh, no, I don't think Columbus got anyone back in this trade that matters, but I do think that there are fantasy implications on Columbus. Yes, me so, too. First Who's going to say it first? I don't know who you're going to say, because I know you kind of hate this guy, but first I'm going to say Jack Johnson... And oh, I know I you're waiting for your head. No. I know. <laughs> it was not Jack Johnson. Okay, well, so first of all, I guarantee you now Jack Johnson is going to get the most power play time on the team and is going to get the most points of their defensemen. So for I know, Brian, though, you're going to say that he's garbage and he has bad usage or something. But, <laughs> I, would, but I would say Jack Johnson... Uh, people are guessing. You're not guessing the player, though, who I always think is the more sneaky player. Right. Okay. Now maybe let's try saying at the one, same time. You want time to count then. down? Okay. Three, two, one. Savard. David Savard. All okay. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm into Savard. Um, I mean, and one of the reasons um, Columbus made this trade, according to their GM, was they said they had seen enough from David Savard to suggest that he was ready to step into a bigger role and they could afford um, the loss of Wisniewski. And of course, like they don't need Wisniewski right now. Um, and by the time they're competitive, hopefully Savard will have rounded into form. Um, he hasn't done too badly. 11 points in his last 26 games. Like, he is just under a half a point per game player over the course of the season. Um, he is not up there in terms of defensemen um, who have produced uh, at even strength um, efficiently. However, he is way ahead of your Jack Johnson. It's actually David Savard and Kevin Connaughton is the other one. Do you know Kevin Connaughton actually leads the team in points per 60 minutes at even strength? At even with, strength. Which yeah. I know, okay, hang on. I know that's not worth that much to you. Kevin Connaughton, um, as of today, is the most efficient 
scorer on the blue line in Columbus. Wisniewski was it, and I'm talking all situations. Um, and he has a respectable points per 60 number. He has decent possession. Uh, I'm just about to take a look at how he's been used. Kevin Connaughton was seeing uh, similarly, uh, not super simple minutes, but um, simpler minutes alongside James Wisniewski. So Connaughton and Savard, two guys to watch um, who might get the chance to step into bigger roles now. Right, so I would say probably Kevin Connaughton is not going to be make too much of an impact this season. I know he had a good stretch. Right now he's actually injured also, so he's out for a week. So that's something to be considered. And also, Brian, I know you love the points for 60, but at the end of the day he's playing like uh, 15 minutes a game. Definitely, but, though, Jack Johnson. available now. Yeah, so we'll see. But definitely David Savard is going to get an increased role, and Jack Johnson will continue to get a lot of minutes and a lot of power play time. Uh, Dave pointed out that uh, Savard's already got a goal tonight. Very good. Of course, Columbus is losing 3-1 to one to the amazing Washington Capitals, who, by the way, side note, Brian and I clinched first place, the President's Trophy in our other league, based on Ovechkin's awesome game and Holtby's shutout on Sunday. That put us over the top in a matchup that we were both pretty sure we were going to lose. So that was very exciting for us. Oh, yeah, and Tewton had an assist, so... Look at this. Maybe that's another defenseman that might get a bump on Columbus. So something to watch, but obviously Wisniewski is a good guy to have in your league, and if you have him as a free agent for whatever reason, grab him. If he's injured and you're thinking of dropping him, I would say don't drop him. Put him on your IR, or if you don't have an IR, hold out, because I think he'll be valuable come the playoffs. Let's move on to the next trade. Dave says Jack Johnson will continue to make banana pancakes. Good one. Oh. I don't get the reference. How about, well, I prepare the next trade. You can explain that to the listeners. I mean, I do get it. Explain to the, for the listeners, Brian. <laughs> well, Elon, as you know, Jack Johnson is also a musician, and one of his songs is called... Banana Pancakes. Yes, of yeah. course. There yeah. you go. Yes. Okay. So I think the next... This one's tough. Okay, I don't know if this trade is the next most important trade. It kind of depends a lot on what you think about this player and if you think that he'll uh, have an impact. But I wanted to talk about Antoine Vermette getting traded to Chicago. So I guess, first of all, if your league counts face-offs, then maybe he's more valuable than leagues where he doesn't. Am I wrong with that? Dave is shaking his head. I'm trying to bring up some Vermette notes here. But, Brian, I know we've gotten a few questions on Twitter asking if uh, people should now look at Vermette now that he's on Chicago, and I remember you said you're not too high on him. So, like, I guess the pros would be on Chicago. They're a better team than Arizona. Obviously, the cons would be maybe he doesn't have as much of an important role. So, overall, I should mention he only has four points in his last 15 games, so he hasn't been doing that well overall in the season. He was having a pretty good year because he has... 35 points in 64 games. You know, if you took out those last 15, then that would work out to a pretty nice ratio. But so, yeah, Brian, what's your thoughts overall? Has Antoine Vernet become more or less attractive now that he's moved to Chicago? Um, more attractive, but like still, like yeah, like I said, like only reasonably attractive still. Um, I haven't really bought into Antoine Vermette as like a legitimate offensive option. Um, he doesn't take a ton of shots, and well, I mean, the best thing that could happen to him is he moves on to the into the top six and is able to just do his thing with Patrick Sharp and say Chris Versteeg or or Brandon Saad. 
Well, Brandon Saad's up on the first line. Well, so right now on Daily Faceoff with Dave God, so it looks like everything's been shifted around, and who knows what will actually happen when they play. Okay. But we actually talked about Brad Richards on the last episode as someone who was slipping, and it looks like the coaches noticed, and according to Daily Faceoff, like I said, now Brad Richards was bumped to the third line. Vermette takes second line center with Sharp and Saad, and the first line is Versteeg, Taves, and Hosa. So if that remains, then, you know, playing with Sharp, who we should mention is in a big slump right now, but you'd think overall should be good to play with Sharp and Sad. I'm not seeing Vermet on the power play. We'll see if he, if he gets on there. So, yeah, he does have a chance to play in the top six on Chicago. You would think he'll be on the ice for more goals than he was on Arizona. Um, I guess so. Yeah, he's going to have more opportunity. I mean, he was always playing with Arizona's best wingers, which, you know, is all relative, but if you just look at his scoring rates over the last, you know, um, three seasons, the names closest to him, if I'm going to sort by points per 60 minutes, as you know I like to do, are Jamie McGinn, Scotty Upshaw, Alex Burrows, Thomas Fleischman, Sean Monaghan, um, which, of course, isn't bad, uh, but somehow, I, I'm not sure how he's down there. I'd have to look a little closer. But, I mean, he's, he's not around the type of score you'd think he might be with all the talk that was surrounding him and um, what the Hawks gave up, which was a first-round pick. So, um, I mean, we're not, we're not trying to decide if it was a good trade or not for the Hawks. I guess Vermette owners see a slight boost, but if he's not already owned in your league, it's not like an automatic go-and-get-him um, but he should definitely be on your watch list, and, and maybe he would be good to just try out um, if it's an obvious ad, if there's somebody on your team that really, really deserves to be dropped right now. Mm-hmm. And then I guess there's the uh, players that this hurts. I feel like we've already talked about Arizona, so we'll finish off. We didn't mention, actually, now that Arizona's lost Vermette, who's a good defensive player, and we uh, talked about they've lost... Yandel, who's like a, a somewhat good defenseman, I guess he's more offensive, but I feel like definitely if you're holding on to an Arizona goalie, if you're a Mike Smith owner, you've already had a tough year, probably doesn't help him. And then, like we said, it hurts Brad Richards over on Chicago. Yeah, it hurts so. Brad Richards a lot. Like, they don't have to play him up on that second line now, as it seems like they, they sort of thought they did for a while. Um and so, yeah, also, his, his fantasy value continues to slip. It was really nice at one point, but hopefully you're not still holding on and hoping. Yeah, I would call him a snoozer at this point, especially if he's on the third line. And uh, like you mentioned, Mark, Arcobello, who was, you know, assumed left for dead, you know, waved for the third time or whatever it was this season. He does see, he does have an opportunity to play now. You know, Dave is shaking his head. I love looking at Dave. He just, like, you could, he's so expressive. So, yeah, he's saying no Arcobello, but, hey, he's going to play. He's on a bit of a hot streak, you know, an unsustainable shooting percentage, but that's for deep leagues. Brian, who would you rather have right now? You have to take Arcobello or Brad Richards for the rest of the season. Oh, man. You're not allowed to drop one of them. What do you guys say in the I'm chat? I'm not allowed to drop one. Brad Richards. You'll take Richards? Okay. Yeah. Noted. All right, also, update. Jack Johnson, Patty pointed out, has an assist already today. He just got one. So, and on in even strength, Brian. I know how much wow. you love the even strength points. That's where I really value them. <laughs> even though that doesn't count for that extra category. I mean, I know, I know it's counterintuitive <laughs> from a fantasy perspective. I, I totally understand that, and I feel like. Um, I just joke. I know no, you're saying it, it just it, shows their worth. 
it's a very good argument and one that we can probably have and both agree with each other for like hours upon end. Okay. Yeah. So let's go to the next trade I wanted to talk about. Those are sort of like the biggest names. Here's a name that was big at one point, I guess. Marek Zidlitschke is now on the Red Wings, traded for a draft pick. So I feel like in Detroit, you know, they have Cronwall. He's they're not, we don't we don't even trade this man, you know. And there has been some drama with them. I guess we haven't really mentioned anyone, but you know, there's been like DeKaiser and Kindle have all had chances to play on the power play and have somewhat of a chance on Detroit. But it's really just uh, Cronwall who's had any relevance at all in fantasy, I would say. So now they get a second guy who was fantasy relevant. I mean, Zitlitschke's getting up there in age. I remember I owned him in a pool, I guess it was last year or the year before, but he was useful to me at one point in the somewhat recent past. Brian, do you think that he, you know, with New Jersey, he didn't wasn't put in such a great situation to score. Like New Jersey's not a high-scoring team, and for sure Detroit is higher scoring. He's got 23 points in 63 games on the year. Do you think that he'll be able to increase that pace uh, now that he's on Detroit? Not necessarily, no. Um, like you said, a big, a big piece of this will be whether or not he ends up on the power play or not. Um, he has been really helpful and like relevant for little stints, uh, especially over the last um, couple years while he was in New Jersey. Remember, New Jersey like was going between him and Andy Green and Paul Martin. Well, that was a while ago now. Um, and I'm just uh, like he hasn't been terribly inefficient on the power play though. And Elon, maybe you've identified that. I haven't had a chance to look at um, all of the Red Wings. Um, you know, points per 60 uh, on the power play. I don't know if you're able to bring that up or, or consider who the most efficient Red Wings have been, but if you look at the last three years, um, Zudlitschke actually ranks in the top 25 of defensemen who have played more than 200 minutes with the even strength... Uh, ed, sorry, with the man advantage. Um, yeah, so not doing too badly. Like, he's actually ahead of Duncan Keith, sandwiched between Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith. Well... I mean, Zidlitschke did have 42 points in 81 games last year, so he was really, you know, a half-point-per-game player uh, pace for a defenseman, and on New Jersey, it is impressive. So I think it's intriguing to see how he'll do in Detroit, but obviously he was sort of the main guy in New Jersey, and now he's behind Cronwall in Detroit, so a big difference there, and an extra year of age. I can tell you that uh, I haven't looked at his total minutes, so I'm not sure how big of a sample there is. I know he's played only half as many games, but... Um, Jacob Kindle, or Jakob Kindle, whichever, we'll hedge our bets here, um, has a, a better scoring rate with the man advantage so far this year. So does Nicholas Cronwall, and uh, Danny DeKaiser is, is like about equal to Zelitschke. So I don't know if they're just going to throw him in and things will happen. They might throw him in, and at least he'll be playing with better players. His, his, to me, his value does not uh, exactly skyrocket, though. Okay, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't know if it's fair to compare Zidlitschke's uh, power play rate on the Devils with these other players, especially who aren't Cronwall, you know, so it's a really small sample size of minutes playing on the power play in Detroit. But it'll be interesting to see. I guess at the end of the day, it's like with all of these analyses, in a week we'll know more. So, like, this is the emergency podcast for if anyone needs to make any emergency moves, and then hopefully uh, we'll get more information. We'll be able to give some more updates on the next podcast if there's anything, you know, that we said that's clearly no, no longer the case. Right, like this This is, since the our preseason shows, this is probably like one of the more speculative episodes of the year, yeah? Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, the, that's what to... trade deadline's all about, though. 
So, hey, by the way, power play goal for Ryan Callahan. And actually, there was a surprise today. This isn't trade deadline related, but did you guys notice that at the last minute, Ben Bishop was, he was supposed to get the start, and the last minute they put Vasilevsky instead. So I don't know what's up with Bishop. Maybe there's something wrong with him, something to definitely keep an eye on, but it's Vasilevsky in the net, and it's a good game to have started him, though probably most people didn't since it was such a last-minute thing, but... Tampa's up 2-0 on Buffalo, who has nobody now because they trade. Here, let's even just talk about this trade now. Beautiful segue by me. Thank you very much. I was actually going to segue elsewhere for a second. Oh, you lost your chance. Well, we both. I was was trying to be polite. Uh, No, uh, I'm going to segue really quick. I'm just going to say that since we're live and we can take advantage of this, Roberto Luongo took a puck to the, I think, side of the head earlier tonight, too. And El Montoya stepped in. But I don't know... um, I don't know if he's currently in. Of course, I'm more focused on making this podcast than following the game right now. I don't know if Luongo returned. I think, to me, it looks like... No, I can't guess. Luongo has played 20 minutes. Almonte right. has played a minute Maybe. and a half. Okay, no, forget it. I had... Yeah. Thanks for the segue. Well, no, that Montoya might be... Is in. Montoya is in. I can confirm. Confirmed. Okay, Alan Montoya right. in the Florida Panthers net. Maybe Luongo is injured. All right, so who do you want more, Vasilevsky or Montoya, rest of the season? <laughs> oh, that's actually a tough one. I was just going to say Vasilevsky for sure. Um, but the Panthers, you know, they, they made some moves to suggest that they're going for it. Um, I think you can count on them to pick up a reasonable amount of wins over the rest of the season. The unfortunate part is that Montoya, in 18 appearances so far with them this season, has just an 891 save percentage and... Uh, generally just hasn't had a good, you know, most of his career. He, he had a good year in Winnipeg last year, but um, I don't know. All right, so let's get back to the trade talk. It is interesting, you know, it's crazy how you could spend all season worried about your goalie situation and trying to trade for a starter, and then like you could get your starter injured right there, Luongo, right before the playoffs might be out. So hopefully not the case if you're a Luongo owner, of course. All right, but I was trying to segue because I was talking about Buffalo and how Tampa, who's now up 3-0 against Buffalo, how things have changed quickly. And maybe one of the reasons for this is Buffalo had one good thing going for them, it seemed. It seemed like their goalie, Neuverth, was doing really well. And we actually talked about him on the last podcast as someone who has really stepped in since Enroth got traded. But now Neuverth is also traded for Chad Johnson, so now... Johnson is on Buffalo, and Neuverth is on Islanders, and I feel like this is a big thing, you know, not fantasy-related, but great for the Islanders as a team because I felt like playing, like, daily fantasy hockey, if you knew that the Islanders were playing Chad Johnson, then that was a good hint that you should take players on the team playing against the Islanders. Now, though, Neuverth was doing so well. But so, Brian, do you think that he gets a decent amount of starts, or are they still going to run with Halak and he's just going to be, like, a backup who plays every once in a while? Well, it's a nice option. Like, um, I think I, I've made my, I've made my distrust clear of of Johnson, and like it, it was a thing. It was funny how much of a thing it was. Like going into the like even like the second quarter of the season that um, Chad Johnson was actually being considered as like, oh, could he push Halak? Um, but the thing is with the Islanders, I'm just looking at their schedule over the last three weeks of the season, which are most leagues playoff weeks. Um, they have two games the first week, and then they have four the next, including one back-to-back, and then they have two the next. So I don't really see Neuwirth getting enough starts like in that time. Like Maybe he'll get two 
over the last three weeks, um, you know, to be worth a roster spot on your team. Uh, I don't know if they start resting him before that or not. I, I just, I, I wish I could tell you, Elon, but I can't. I think he's a good goalie, though, and uh, too good to, uh, to, to stay on the Sabres and, and risk getting them, stealing them a couple points. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they were probably n not happy with the wins they were getting recently with uh, Neuvertz. That's why they had to trade him to make sure the full tank was on. It so was a, a good move by, I mean, uh, I can't remember offhand, Elon, do you know um, what the Islanders traded for him? Oh, they traded straight up. It was just Chad Johnson, right? Oh, a third round pick also went to Buffalo. Okay, so like that's a, that's a low price to get um, a quality backup, which the Islanders have now been lacking um, for a couple seasons, and they have a great starter, so it would be um, a good thing. Neuvirth is a UFA, but going into next year, um, if the Islanders could retain him, that would be good for them. But we're talking about your fantasy team. Come yeah, on. so you're saying basically Neuvirth is a good goalie if gosh forbid something happens to Halak, you definitely want to jump on him right away, but no, nothing has happened, there's no reason to think that will happen, except for Halak does tend to get injured more often maybe than other goalies in the league, so... Is but that true? In general, well, I feel like I just recall the last couple seasons. You could you fact-check me on that, or right. the chat room can fact-check me, but yeah, seems like you're saying, especially if the playoff schedule isn't too... Uh, isn't too nice. So if you were saying it was uh, going into the last week of the season, like you check the last three weeks of the season, Brian? Yeah. Because a lot of people, the last week doesn't count, including our joint league. They don't. We, it's only the three weeks leading up to the last week of the season that's okay. the playoffs. Okay. So well, that means that four go. That means that four that was in the middle, the four game week might actually be the finals week for some people. So maybe he yeah. will be someone to grab right before the finals. Something to keep in mind, I guess. And then what about Buffalo? So the people in these leagues where they count saves or, I don't know, starts or something. <laughs> so now who's the who's the goalie in Buffalo? Is it Lindback or is it Johnson? Or are they just going to take turns? I feel like they're going to take turns giving up goals. Like, I, I, anybody, you know, can face 40 shots a night and, you know, get to stop, you know, a fair amount of them and look pretty good. Like, they might still have and 900 save percentage. The, the thing with Buffalo is they give up so many shots that sometimes um, it's hard to put up a really, really poor, like, weak wrecking save percentage versus teams that, say, might only give up 22 or 23 shots in a night, and then, you know, but, but the goalie lets in four goals, and that destroys your numbers. Uh, I would lean towards Lindback, but, I mean, I think I've been, I've been on both sides of the Lindback coin this year, both in promoting him as somebody who once saw success in Nashville along with every other goalie to be in Nashville's crease. Um, but then, and then, like, you know, had a chance to try and find his game in the AHL this year, was trying to be given a fresh start um, by the Dallas Stars. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, right now it's a coin flip to me whether he becomes relevant. But of the two, he's the one I'd be looking at. And, like, I still, for some reason, I, I root for him. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on why. I think it's too bad it didn't work out in Dallas for him. I feel like he could, he really could have taken the reins had he been well, able to perform consistently. Had he been a good goalie, he was a disaster. Let's <laughs> yeah. just say it how it was. He and was speaking, of saying, speaking of saying how it is, Patty writes that Buffalo is screwed. And, and yes, that's... Yeah. Will they win a game for the rest of the year? 
Like that's I think the thing at this point. And they were able to put up some wins. They also traded. Let's even just get to this now. So Stewart, Chris Stewart got traded to St. Louis. Here's a guy who has had some spurts of of very high fantasy relevance. So I'm just bringing up his numbers now. But I remember last year he didn't play much. Oh, sorry, he got traded to Minnesota, not St. Louis. He was on St. Louis last year for a bit, and he didn't get much playing time and ended up uh, getting moved. But, yeah, so last year he had 26 points in 58 games. But back in 2012-2013, 36 points in 48 games with St. Louis. So he has been good. He got 28 goals also way back in 2009-2010 with Colorado. But now he's on Minnesota. Considering that we talked about Sean Bergenheim on a recent podcast as someone who might get a chance on Minnesota's top six, I imagine Stewart is going to take the role that Bergenheim would have had. You know, it's funny you say that because I thought that I had answered that question elsewhere, uh, um, and and my probably. answer and my answer was not that um, Stewart would be the guy. Well, I'm looking at Daily Faceoff right now, and again, this is just based on you know Daily Faceoff is just going based on what they see on Twitter themselves, yeah, and you know, and things are always subject to change before a game is even played. But right now. I'm seeing Stewart, Koivu, and Vanek on the second line, and then Parisi, Granlund, and right. Palmville. So, so I mean, Sean Bergenheim isn't doesn't have much of an offensive track record. Like I feel like Chris Stewart is a pretty solid bet to be in that top six. I think the the point I was making was that Bergenheim probably wasn't long for that top six. Except the interesting thing is, is that he is like a total. Um, and I said I use these exact words: possession wizard. Um, and Chris Stewart is the exact opposite. He is just a total disaster in terms of possession and driving play. So, uh, you know, and, like, has been known to be inconsistent and, like, at best you could call him a middling score if you ag- aggregated everything. Yeah, he has little runs. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not his biggest fan, at, maybe possibly because... Ottawa has been rumored for like the last two years to be trying to acquire him, and that would just be the last thing the team needs. So maybe I'm like over, <laughs> I'm like way over the line and thinking, no, 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 Chris Stewart, and I don't, I don't have a very um, objective take on right. him from a fan perspective. But just looking at his numbers, I'm not like Elon. I know you said he has points here, he has points there. Um, I still don't think he's going to be a difference maker for you in most leagues. I'm okay for depth ad, though, because he's going to have good line mates. He hopefully just won't drag them down completely. Right, yeah. So it sounds like you're saying if you're a fan of Minnesota, you don't like the deal. Yes. But for fantasy, seems like he's capable of putting up points. I think he's definitely worth a watch list ad. For some reason, I get the impression that... Is, is he a, a guy that provides any peripherals aside from points? Is he a hits or a blocks guy? Not really, actually, taking a look. No, he, I think... I oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I remember also he had a stretch where he was taking more shots, but this... Well, I guess you can't count his time in Buffalo uh, <laughs> in terms of counting his shots. He had, like, 100... Well, yeah, I guess, like, two shots a game kind of guy. So, okay. He's, he's always been about a two-shot-a-game kind of guy. Um... A lot of people sort of have this idea of him as a power forward, but he's not one. Um, like you asked about hits, he doesn't. He just doesn't throw a lot of hits. Um, you know, he broke 100 penalty minutes twice oh, maybe. Yeah, in his career, but like that—that's not even that terribly hard to do. Um, you know, for well, okay, 
I shouldn't exaggerate. Um, under under I shouldn't undersell the fact that he can get over 100 penalty minutes. There you go. So well maybe producing at a half a point per game. I have to admit, keeping Carlson is not the podcast for people who care about penalty minutes because neither of us are leagues that count them. It's hard to uh, keep track of something like that. It's hard to even consider leagues where they count as something that's bad for their team. But uh, Patty's giving us a quote from NHL.com. In Stewart, the Wild are getting a power element they have been missing this season. It's weird if they call... That's why probably people call him like a power forward, but he doesn't give you hits. So what does that even mean? I don't know. I, I think power meant hits, but I don't know. I can... Well, if you give me... I'll give you time. A long enough break. I, I, I'm going to give you something interesting about that. Okay, please do. So maybe then in that case, uh, oh, well, then I should pick something that I'll be, have to talk about. Or maybe the patrons, you guys got to pull your weight here because Brian's going to research something. I was thinking maybe we could talk about Fleischman for Danny Heatley. Brian, are you surprised we haven't gotten any tweets yet asking should you pick up Heatley? I, I feel like we got one, or maybe it was on the Facebook group. I remember we had a fun time earlier in the year telling people they should drop Crosby for Heatley. And but, and you should have. Well, well now maybe Heatley has new life because now he's on Florida <laughs> and they're a good team. But is it is this what you're doing to give him time? I don't know. So we'll see if Heatley even plays a game. But Fleischman I think is intriguing because you know we talked about him earlier in the season. There was a short stretch. So first of all, let's go way back in time. And Fleischman was like a guy that was owned in a high percentage of leagues. He was a you know, a valued fantasy asset, and then he took that nosedive last season. Like, he was drafted in leagues last season, but, like, I'm just bringing up his stats now. He had 61 points in 82 games in 2011-2012, then 35 points in 48 games in the lockout season, and then, so, you know, it was like, oh, look at this guy, you know, 27 goals, by the way, in the the one that I said, the 61-point season, and 12 goals, which you could, you know, so over a 20-goal guy. Then last year, everything fell apart. He had 28 points in 80 games, and then this season, he had healthy scratches. He has 21 points in 52 games, but there was actually a stretch somewhat recently when he was putting up some points I remember Brian mentioned on the podcast and worth looking at. So I don't think he's completely fantasy irrelevant yet. And he goes to Anaheim. And we talked about Wisniewski and how he might get an improved uh, chance to get points on a you know a good strong Anaheim team. And if Fleischman can crack the top six, I don't see why he can't you know do something as well. So right now Daily Faceoff has him playing with Kessler and Silverberg on the second line. Who knows if maybe he could even take Kyle Palmieri's spot. Everyone always gets a chance on Anaheim to play with Getzlaff and Perry. Even Yuri Sakach was playing there uh, the last game. So it's possible that Fleischman could have some value for the fantasy playoffs in my opinion. Brian, do you have any uh, additional insight or would you say just like put him on your watch list and keep your eye on Daily Faceoff if he gets on like a power player on that top line? Elon, first off, heroic effort. Thank you for giving me time to research something. And uh, also... One take. Yeah, that was really... That was fantastic. No editing. That was that was real. That was real right there. Um, yeah, Fleischman... It, I, like you said, Elon, it's going to be between Fleischman and Sikach um, to see who ends up in that top six. Unless, you know, Ricard Raquel takes another turn on the top line with Getzlaff and Perry. Although, um, I feel like Palmieri's spot on the left side of that top line is going to be the one constantly revolving. It's the left. It's the left wing on the second line that's going to be the one that might be like more steadily available or more more available to the same person over the course of the season. So you identified the top two guys: Fleischman, 
Um, like it's funny because we talked about him. Do you remember talking about him at the end of last year? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, I do. What we said about him exactly last year, he takes as many shots as he normally does, but he only scores on half of them, um, which really bit into what he was able to produce. Although, interestingly enough, even if he did score on what we would assume to be a reasonable rate, this is what we were saying at the end of last year, um, he would have still been under 40 points in 80 games played. So, uh, I don't know, not a ton of faith in, in Fleischmann, but uh, in Anaheim, like, I don't know, I don't know. Anaheim's lines change so frequently, mostly because of that first line. Um, you can just count on Getzlaff and Perry being on the first line and Kessler being on the second, and the rest seems to shift fairly regularly. Um, so Fleischmann is in, like, a deep league, to answer your question, worth a look in any league, worth a watch list. Dave, what was Rutherford thinking? Um, I imagine you're referring to Dupre for Lovejoy, and um, boy, I don't know. I, I, I believe I saw a clip where he was saying something about that this adds toughness, that adding Lovejoy um, is going to help the, the pens be grittier or something to that effect, and it's possible I'm getting that wrong, but I'm confident that's true. And you know what? He said the same thing when he dealt Gawk for LaPierre, and so I'm not sure exactly if LaPierre and Lovejoy are upgrades on Gawk and Dupre. The, like, the one thing Lovejoy has going for him is a little bit more experience. He's been in the league. Actually, he was with Pittsburgh at one point in his career. And we also mentioned him on the episode where we talked about Vatanen's injury, saying that uh, his production hasn't actually been so bad, although he is in a depth role, so he doesn't get the opportunity to do a whole lot more. And even if he did, I, I wouldn't have a ton of faith that he'd have the chance. So Rutherford is actually one of those... Um, sort of baffling GMs so far, I think, because uh, some of his moves seem reasonable and savvy and justifiable. Um, but this one, this one does not. Like, it's not the sky is falling. I think a lot of the people um, were incredulous that Dupre, who's been touted as being a, a fixture on the Pittsburgh blue line for years to come, in the long run, I, I think they lose. I think they lose I think they lose the deal. I guess they're gambling that Love Joy will be a more reliable and consistent option versus Dupre, who is still somewhat of an unknown quantity. I don't like the deal, though. Yeah, weren't you going to say something interesting about power forwards? I was just going to say that Stewart isn't oh, one. Okay. One of I, I can't. I again, I'm just like it's been a busy day. It's been a busy few days for me. But uh, so I'm referencing a lot of like, oh, I think I saw here, but mm -hmm. I definitely saw um, one of Stewart's former teammates. I wish I could tell you what team. I can't. Um, what team they played just with saying. on. Uh, but but essentially said that like he always left you wanting more, like he was a big guy with a big frame, but wouldn't really engage in the battles that you'd expect a power forward to become engaged in. Okay, so I guess we should start wrapping this up. I have maybe one more that's worth talking about. But okay, regarding Dupre, I'll just say really quickly that he gets hits. So if you're in a league that counts hits, and if you do think that Dupre will, for how for whatever reason, you think he does have a chance to get more points in Anaheim then maybe he's someone worth your watch list. I'm not too confident that Lovejoy is going to do much over in Pittsburgh. If, like, Erhoff isn't doing anything in Pittsburgh, I don't think any defenseman not named Latang will do anything. Though uh, Pouliot got a goal, power play goal, in the last game and was getting some power play time, so maybe he's someone to look at. Okay, Brian, what do you think about... And actually, this one we could look into a little bit because they're playing right now, but Washington 
picked up Curtis Glencross, and I saw some people talking about how maybe he might get that awesome spot with Ovechkin and Backstrom. I'm curious to see. I'm, I'm looking at daily face-off right now. Line combinations, Washington. I'm curious to see where Glencross slots in. They, right now they have him on the second line with Kuznetsov and Brower, which isn't horrible, I guess. Kuznetsov has had some offensive spurts this year, but maybe he's someone worth watching. But definitely it's the kind of thing where I wouldn't be too interested. But if he gets on the top power play, if he gets on the top line, you know, then he has value for that short amount of time. I say that a lot, I feel like, for lots of players. No, what you said is true, and, like, I feel like you just you just acknowledge that you're saying that a lot about guys, and essentially that's what we can do at this point without seeing how they'll fit it, fit onto their teams. Like, in a week or two, um, we'll be able to really break it down, but I guess people want to know, should I be grabbing this guy now? And for Curtis Glencross, the answer is the same. It's like, if he can get in there on, the, say, the top line, um, you know, like maybe he could play at even strength with Baxter and Ovechkin. Um, that would be fantastic. That would be really good and, like, almost an automatic pickup because there have been players this year like Tom Wilson and uh, Jay Beagle, and uh, lately it's been Burakovsky um, sometimes who people have picked up really just by, the, by virtue of playing on that line, and they've put up points just by, by virtue of playing on that line. Um, so Glenn Cross, he's an all right guy. He's always had, I was just looking up, I, I seem to remember something about him being a high percentage shooter. Yeah, I don't well, know if that's kept up. I'll point out that so far, and this is like mid-game stats, so that's like the least useful small sample size, but right now he's hardly played any minutes. He's got like 8.05 while, you know, the top guys like Ovechkin and Baxter are like at 15, and he's minus two so far, so maybe he's been losing ice time since... Uh, you know, he was the, the minus two, so... Well, his his best season to date, I think what I was thinking of, his best season to date, he had his career highs 48 points. He played 67 games, so not quite a full season. If he did, you know, think of him maybe just under 60 points. Um, and that was achieved with, like, a ridiculously high shooting percentage. Like, totally unsustainable. Um, and, uh, and, and aside from that, you know, he hit 24 goals the season before that, but forget that year, and that was with a reasonable shooting percentage, but he also took more shots than he's ever taken, and over the last couple years, he's averaging like two shots a game this year, not even, um, so not a super attractive option unless he's playing with very good players. Right, okay, and before we sign out now, uh, Patty asked Connolly, but then she said never mind, but I'll say quickly, I'm not too interested in Brett Connolly, though there are you know, Pasternak has been heating up again. I guess we've mentioned him a few times. Yeah. He might be someone to look at on Boston. And also Ryan Spooner is now playing with Lucic. That's the line right now, Spooner, Lucic, and Pasternak. I don't see Connolly getting onto the top six. He had that nice stretch of games with goals in Tampa, but he was never getting much ice time. And like maybe for the future he might be someone to look at, but I don't see him worth adding this season. Yeah, for the future. For the future, he's, he's worth looking at, um, but... As far as you're looking at for this year in your league, he is not as not at all a relevant player. And I just want to before we sign off, Elon, Dave mentioned that Glenn Cross looks to be on the second power play unit. And um, while that might be true, uh, that first power play unit in Washington, they're world beaters, and they are the ones who are going to score, you know, a large majority of the power play goals in Washington. So second power play unit time is good in Washington. I'm not sure how much it means. Yeah, speaking of which, Ovechkin just scored a power play goal, assisted by Backstrom and John Carlson. So those are the 
Those are the guys you want. And we have Ovechkin in, in our league. We've already clinched, so it doesn't even matter. Well, hopefully we're not the Chris Stewarts. Hopefully we're not leaving people wanting more. Hopefully we covered everything that is somewhat relevant for the trade deadline. And like I said before, we'll obviously give any updates on the next episode if there's something we've said that is no longer applicable. But thank you so much to the patrons who joined us. Patty and, and Matt is here and Dave. And uh, Saqib was here before. So, yeah, thanks very much. And Brian, great job as always. And I guess uh, at this point I'll cue the outro music in the edit, though I'm not going to do it now unless, you know, someone wants to hum it. Can I bring someone on to hum the outro music? <laughs> no? Dave, you could do it. <laughs> That's not even it at all. No, but that, good, but there it, were elements of it. All right, well, so maybe we could plug that in. Uh, into our soundboard. Or I really hope so. Soundboard. I hope so. <laughs> I hope you can work that in. I think that was worth it. Thank you, Dave. All right. And so with that, let's sign off. Bye, everyone. Have a good night. Brian, say your catchphrase. Or Keep on funny? keeping Carlson. I'm going to no, bed. I, I talked over you, so that's the worst part. Keep there. on keeping Carl. Keep, keep on keeping Carlson. I like it when you say it more like keep on keeping Carl son. I like keep when you said it. Keep on keeping Carl son. Is that like what is that exact? So that's a reference to the keep on keeping on thing. Yeah, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping Carl son. Maybe next year we'll come up with something better. Right in. It took a year to come up with that one. <laughs> I like how I say that we're the best fancy hockey podcast in the world. That's why don't why don't we? That's uh, my we should sign up with Ludwig, Melker, William, and Eric. <laughs> yeah. From Elon, myself, Ludwig, Melker, <laughs> William, and Eric. We'll, <laughs> we'll catch you next week. week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>